0: Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear.
1: Welcome, everyone. I'm Steve Clear. Thanks for joining us today on the Next Level Brands Podcast. Our show is brought to you today by Next Level Brands CPG Community, a merger of the experience of Next Level Brands and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf. Next Level Brands community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners in the industry, including packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. So today I have a very special guest, and it's Maureen Mwangi. Maureen is a brand growth strategist. She's worked with some of America's most lovable brands like L'Oreal, Dove, Lays, and of course, my favorite, Giovanni. She's also the creator of the Big Brand Academy, the Product Profit Lab, and StartWord Consulting. That's a consulting firm dedicated to teaching product-based entrepreneurs the sales and marketing strategies they need to scale with scientific precision so they can turn their product brands into household names. Maureen's Zone of Genius is a rare ability to connect with a market and turn real data into brand growth strategies that drive multi-million dollar growth. She is also giving back through her nonprofit organization, the Taji Foundation, which supports boys in Kenya to get the education that they need to lift their families out of poverty and build some generational wealth. Welcome to the program, Maureen.
0: Thank you so much for having me, Steve. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you today.
1: We have we've been waiting a couple of weeks to do this. I was very excited uh, to, to talk to you about a whole bunch of things that we'll try to. We, we may have to do another show at some point in time to catch up on all the stuff I'd like to talk about. I, I want to start with our audience is uh, f- folks like you work with, which are fellow entrepreneurs and building CPG businesses, and uh, whether this food, beverage, health and wellness, wherever it is. But your experience background with very large CPG, um, how how did you get involved with that? And uh, you know, and where did you first go? And and you know, how did brand management become what you got into?
0: So just to give uh, the the listeners a a bit about my background is I grew up in Kenya where entrepreneurship was not the norm. In fact, my parents were the only entrepreneurs I knew as a little girl. And so I was always fascinated uh, as, as they talked about product strategies around the dinner table for most of my life. So when I got older, I became really aware of the financial freedom business ownership afforded my family, along with the success and the access to more opportunities. Because of that, I learned that the secret to my parents' successful business was because of their reputable, trustworthy, product-based brand that, that they had created for over 25 years, while others in the industries were taking shortcuts and selling commodities on the cheap my parents actually really focused on building a reputation that was unparalleled in the market. So this curiosity uh, literally led me to understanding how to build breakout brands. And it's what became the seed for me to come over to the u s and pursue a higher a higher master's program in New York. So I literally left Kenya, came over to the u s and I pursued a master's in business analytics. Little did I know it's actually marketing analytics, and that's what gave me the opportunity to get into CPG, get into the branding, marketing, consulting, and I started off working at Nielsen Company where I focused primarily on forecasting, innovation, and predictive analytics. That's when I I worked with Chobami, your favorite company, and I was tasked with the responsibility of really assessing the opportunity around the Greek yogurt category and what the success would look like. And was part of the team that was responsible for bringing out the Chobani Greek yogurt into the market. And through that, I really learned, and I really got the opportunity to understand how big brands do branding. And knowing that my parents needed information to continue growing and scaling their businesses, I started helping them on the side, and that's what led me to create my company, Saddle Consulting. That's focused on really taking CPG companies, small brands to the next level by leveraging the data and providing the information that they actually do not have.
1: So it, it obviously exposure at Nielsen and data and statistics, obviously a, a huge driver for them and stuff. Did you look at some of the Nielsen clients who had brands and said, Hey, I, I think I can go here or I, I want to learn this particular, you know, I want to be in uh, beauty and I, or I want to be in potato chips or how did you make that transition?
0: So how I made that transition was, I actually think it happened naturally because how we, how Nielsen works is you're always tough on projects across different categories, across different brands. And I always worked on projects that revolved around forecasting, predictive analytics, and white space opportunities. And so when a company would come over to Nielsen and they had this new concept that they really wanted to test into the market, I was always part of the team. And so I really got to work with Chobani. I got to work with Dove when it came to their body polish. I got to work with um, Pfizer when it came to the sleeping pills. I I got so many opportunities that... I loved, and it really gave me an understanding of truly what it takes to bring to build a brand a brand from the ground up, and also actually what it takes to sustain market leadership, especially for brands like Lay's and um, PepsiCo.
1: Right, is it because mm-hmm. it's a different? It's different when you have heritage brands. Yes, right. Is trying to maintain a freshness or something, and you know, know, if if you if you're pulling something out of the hat, let's just say plant-based chicken, mm-hmm. that's great because it's brand new. Everybody knows that. But to come up with something in a category that is already mature, already saturated, uh, is another a whole other thing entirely. So you always kind of had a little bit of a bent for the entrepreneur. Um, if you can, can we talk a little bit about uh, obviously? So you're 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 at school. Uh, You go to work at Nielsen and fine, but getting into large CPG, what were the challenges going into it being the fact that, that, you know, you were an immigrant, uh, right. And a woman and a Mm -hmm. woman of color Mm -hmm. and most, you know, not that many years ago, big CPG in America was not a diverse place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even on women's brands, which really, which really amazed me when I went to work with products that were made for women and the sales team was all guys. Mm-hmm. It was like, how does that work? But mm-hmm. did you face some challenges? Did you um, or 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 did you have enough of the 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 firepower that basically that didn't uh, didn't matter?
0: Oh, I, I faced challenges a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. You're so spot on when you said there was literally no diversity and To date, they're working on building that diversity, especially when it comes to the agency side. And one of my biggest challenges was really stepping into, yes, I was stepping into CPG, but I was also stepping into a function that was data heavy, that required a lot of coding. And majority of the people in that position were my male counterparts. It was like a double double tragedy like you're a woman of color but you're also very good at math how are you going to break into this space but one thing that i leveraged and i've constantly told people is i leveraged i leveraged my strength which was i didn't grow up in the us like i have an understanding of how emerging markets work i have an understanding of opportunities i really look at things from a very different perspective And every time I would go to market research, I would always be the voice of the unheard. And when it came into pricing, we would always talk about, because the leaders would be like, this is not expensive, but I'm actually like, you have to remember this would not be bought by somebody who's in a minority, underrepresented community or is a minority. They don't have $10 to spend on a potato chip. (laughs) So just being that voice in the boardroom that is a sounding voice like telling them that hey i know we're building brands but we're building brands without an awareness and understanding of those who are underrepresented and every time i would go to uh, interviews that's that's a story i brought to the table and that's a story i still bring to the table today even when i'm working with customers and clients because the society is vast. We have different people, different personalities. There's so much economic disparity. And we have to be really aware when it comes to brand building, because at the end of the day, it's consumers who buy our brands and we have to represent them.
1: Yeah, it's 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 super important. And you would think it's it's a it's so rational and we'd be like a duh have mm-hmm. you guys haven't figured this out. But one of the things, Maureen, I think in the when I started my last agency, I started in nineteen ninety-one in San Francisco. Um, we were, our brands we were working for was Nabisco, Clorox, uh, ConAgra. Um, we were as an agency, much more diverse than the clients we were serving,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, in that sense. And whether that's because the creative element comes into it, uh, whether that was an area that I think maybe with women, um, and other, uh, people of color maybe found that they could in an agency, could stand out better than if they went to work for a large corporation at that point, mm-hmm. whatever it was. But we were very much, um, you know, very much in a, a different thing. And maybe it was just because we were in a big city. Maybe it was the same in LA and the same in New York. I don't know. But, but it was. And there was sort of this sort of transitional awakening, um, you know, and again, going back to uh, uh, products aimed at females, where even in the brand management, it was males. And yeah. it was like, yeah. okay, you can understand to a certain point, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, unless you're going to use the shampoo right yes. at, at home, and you know, whatever, and and uh, you know, it it uh, it works out that way. Um. So, but in in, in your career, and I, I'm going to there, there's a phrase we call intrapreneurs. Okay, mm-hmm. which is the folks who are maybe working for corporations, whatever. I have a good friend who has been working for corporations, larger corporations his entire career, but he is an entrepreneur. He's an mm-hmm. agent of change. Um, he gets uncomfortable real quick when things get kind of static. So how did you deal with the entrepreneurial itch versus your corporate career?
0: That's a very good question because I often attributed myself to be an entrepreneur in corporate, which led me to be an entrepreneur on the other side. And let me explain why. So. In every role, like one of my most recent roles and one of my biggest projects was being part of the team that brought to life the lace Chesapeake Crab Spice. Chip yes. In the mid-Atlantic region. And that just came from a conversation I had with my manager and we were like, hey, all our competitors have a Chesapeake Crab Spice skew, but we don't have one. Why not put a research deck together and really show the opportunity for growth and present it to the leadership team? Of course, you know how it is in corporate, like you present it once, that's a good idea, but we don't have the funding, we don't have the budget. That's always a pushback. Then right. you come back again and you're like, wait, these guys are growing market share by two points every single year. We're losing the space. And being laze, we have the lion's share of the entire category. That's when the leader started saying, hey, I think Maureen has a point. So just identifying opportunities where a company could tap into was already part of me. But one thing that really held me back was the bureaucracy to get something from the ground up was (laughs) insane. (laughs) Like It would take two years of research. It would take a year of testing. Then it would take two years for supply chain to make sure it gets to market. And I was like, what if I just did this on my own? What if I just had the opportunity to have an idea test it out fail as fast as possible and then move on and i think that's when my husband was like you have something inside of you that you need to take seriously and so i started doing my consulting uh, business As a side hustle when i was working in corporate and little (laughs) did i know that it was going to blow up in two years impact so many entrepreneurs get brands on shelf and just seeing the impact that you can have just by telling somebody one thing is incomparable
1: yeah and, and, and you mentioned something very uh very enlightening there and that is the time that it takes within larger companies to get something actually to the shelf. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I I don't know who it was, I wish I could remember now, but at any rate, they're bringing a new product to market. I saw it, they got a shelf tag, right? Shelf talker for it. It's Sriracha, Sriracha something. And I'm going, Mm -hmm. dudes, (laughs) <laughs> okay but you're a little late to the party because yes. if i'm really interested in the sriracha barbecue sauce or whatever i've got a choice of 10 of them now you know yes. it's like it's like don't bring those kale chips to market <laughs> it's not not the time right mm-hmm. um tell me a little bit when you mentioned chobani so chobani has um uh, of course a big facility in twin falls in in idaho and stuff and um i work with them a little bit on a um slam pitch competition held in Boise called Trailmix for food. uh, And the winners can, uh, they get some uh, time in the incubator and and, and, um, at the lab and stuff, which is really great. How did you find working for Chobani? And uh, tell me about the, what did you really think Greek yogurt was going to do from the numbers and what did it end up doing?
0: So how I found Chobani was actually the easiest company to work with because they have a startup culture like at the time in which I was working as the agent on the Chubani group yoga, it was still a small growing company. It wasn't as large as companies like PepsiCo craft, you name it. And right. the brand managers were very open and receptive to change. It was one client where they were like, we're paying you to tell us what to do. And At that point in time, there wasn't a huge penetration of Greek yogurt in the U.S., and they only just wanted to test the plain and the vanilla. And they, my forecast showed the first year of sales would be about $2.4 million, remembering my numbers, and they surpassed it by like 10x. How they did that, funny enough, they didn't even put a lot of money into ads. They did that through distribution. They grew, they really expanded their availability, then they segmented it more into pr- reducing barriers to purchase, so they added the flips. They grew that brand so well, and I'm, it's so commendable to see that because many people think that the only way to build and grow a brand is just through advertising and pouring through ads, but the greatest way to grow a business and to grow a brand is just thinking about how can can I get this product to more people? How can I expand my distribution? What are the new opportunities? What are the new platforms for me to grow? Because sometimes we think about, we think marketing is the only way to scale a brand. Actually, marketing is not the way to scale a brand. The way to scale your brand is through expanding distribution because marketing sometimes eats into your profits. And as entrepreneurs, we don't think about that.
1: Well, yes. I, okay, I got that. But I, let me let me add to that because my uh, my mantra as a marketing person, but as a retail marketing person mm-hmm. is getting the distribution is nice. Mm-hmm. If you can't support the distribution financially, if you can't price properly, promote properly, or get trial, a lot of companies actually over distribute, I think. They get, they get into markets where they can't support it because they don't have the cash. And then you don't get the trial, you don't get the turns. And the next thing you know, you're off the shelf.
0: Mm. But my, my question is always like, if you continue to market it and you're not available, how will people buy?
1: Oh, that's right. Oh, absolutely. Right. I'm going to go out and do a major social media campaign and I'm only in 200 stores.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> hell, wait a minute. No, <laughs> yes.
1: totally. It's uh, the availability of promoting is always larger than I mean, even if you're Frito-Lay, you're not everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's always larger. And I, I also talk about, you know, in e-commerce and how that's changed. And I do yeah. to get that in a second, but the same thing, the same idea, which is, okay, I, I can boost this out there. I can get a lot of people to see it, but unless they're going to come to my website and I sell through my website, which not everybody does. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't, if I'm in Whole Foods nationwide, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. great. But the vast majority of shoppers don't shop in Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's one one of those things you have to, you have to, you know, basically put that together. Um, From the distribution standpoint, Mm -hmm. back to that for for a second. And that is, um, do you working with the growing brands, do you try to do a channel management or a geographic growth structure? how, How do you look at that for optimal growth?
0: For the size of companies I work with, I prefer the geographic channel management Okay. because right now it's such an amazing opportunity to have a business and have a brand because there's a huge push to supporting local brands, supporting local communities, even getting into retail. A lot of buyers are looking at how can we support emerging brands within a community? And I think it's it's a high chance we tap into that, but also from an infrastructure standpoint as a business owner, it really allows you to manage another channel with ease if it's within your proximity.
1: Right. So, so you can, you can still get to it. And as the founder, you can see what's going on.
0: Exactly. And also as a founder, you get to get research and data that otherwise you would not have, you know?
1: Right. Cause you, you can't, you can't buy Nielsen at that mm-hmm. point. So mm-hmm. yeah, you do it. Um, Let's talk for a second about e-commerce and, mm-hmm. and, you know, that whole paradigm shift and everything has occurred w- within your career. Um, what do you think about it? What do you think about the the, the shift? Um, what about the future for an emerging brand? Where, where should they be?
0: The shift to e-commerce was about it was bound to happen. <laughs> it was coming. And I definitely think every brand should have a presence online because the consumer behavior is also pivoting towards that space. But the biggest challenge that's going to happen and is going to continue happening is really how do you stand out from the crowd? And my way, my philosophy right now is really articulating your value, understanding your value proposition and selling from a value standpoint and not selling competing on price, if that makes sense. Because many of us as business owners, as product-based business owners, we always think product first, but I really want to challenge you to think brand first. And I say that because consumers are now buying brands. They're buying into a mission. They're buying into a philosophy. They're buying into a cause. And you have to ask yourself as a CEO, why would somebody buy me? Because remember, branding is why people buy you. Marketing is how they find you.
1: Right. And, and the question, the first two questions I always ask people are, do you have a product or a business? Mm -hmm. And secondly is, do you have a product or a brand? Exactly. Because, you know, if if you're selling as Sally's super green juice drink, well, (laughs) that's great, Sally, but pretty much you've locked yourself into green juice drinks for the rest of your growth Mm -hmm. and, and, and versus something else, but yeah, brand versus, and I think sometimes Maureen, that's a hard concept for Very a lot funny. of entrepreneurs to grasp, you know, mm-hmm. isn't, isn't my product, my brand. And it's like, no, no, it's not. And, you know, and I th- I think you can also, there are some early stage stuff that, you know, you've got to make a choice between maybe, you know, coming, maybe you know, that new line or that new flavor or whatever, mm-hmm. versus developing the brand mm-hmm. and, and putting more money into that or more time and more time and effort as it, it, as it goes mm-hmm. um, do you uh, do you think or do you see out there brands that um strike a note in e-commerce but are maybe going to be very hard to bring over to retail
0: mm, that do really well in e-commerce but might be really hard to bring over into retail
1: yeah Or something with you know maybe it's a multi you know multi flavor line or whatever and they have ten things they're selling online but right but stop and shop's not going to take ten items to start. I
0: think for me when I look at my my experience lends very well in the beauty space and to be honest I think when it comes to cosmetics it's the variety the colors I feel like some some segments and some product categories will do better online versus in store and I'm thinking about. Foundation. Okay, It's it's easier to buy a foundation in store because people want to get it matched versus doing it online. But when it comes to the lip category, lip people will buy it online versus being in store because you can see the color pigmentation. So I think for brands, it's really understanding within your line extension, within your product categories is which one do I want to have a greater presence in store and which one do I want to have a greater presence online? right? And I would really segment it based on your audience. So if you're selling a very bold beauty message and you're selling to the bold customer, you're better off being online because that's where they're spending most of their time. (laughs) So it's really segmentation, right? It's really segmentation. And you talked about something powerful early on in this conversation. It's Targeted promotion, targeted marketing, targeted distribution, everything should be targeted. Like be laser focused and be surgical in every strategy you implement and always make sure you are thinking about the customer because at the end of the day as a brand builder, you're the voice of the customer.
1: Exactly. Uh, Maureen, let, let, let uh, the folks know in the audience how they can um, find out more about Big Brand Academy and the Product Profit Lab and, and uh, start work consulting.
0: Um, So, you can find, you can learn more about me from my website. Go to www.startwardconsulting, which is S T A R T W A R D consulting.com. On that page, you will see, you will learn about Big Brand Academy, which is a high level mastermind for entrepreneurs making over 300,000 and really teach you the strategies to scale and create sustainable profitable growth within your segment and if you really want to email me directly you can email me at maureen at satwoodconsulting.com
1: excellent you can get more information um maureen how about you know this we we've, we've we're sort of i guess i still have to call it mid-pandemic but um with the folks that you were working with and, and with your business how did the pandemic affect it
0: i think the pandemic provided opportunity for my clients, it provided them an opportunity to really sit down and reflect on their business, like who do they want to be, how can they continue to grow despite a global pandemic, how can they maximize the opportunity of the e-commerce space and really, really stand out? Because it was a chance for them to call out their convictions, to put out their beliefs, And to really go all in on why they created their business, because we, it was a period where anybody could literally open up a social media page and say they have a business, but are you going to be sustainable? Can you, can you, are you going to be in this business for 10 plus years? That's a big question. And without the conviction, without the understanding of who you are and without a strategy to be in this place for the long haul, chances are high. It's not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that it, it certainly some people who were, let's just say e-commerce focused, I think benefited greatly. Um, people who weren't, not so much, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and certainly saw both at Drain Time. But um, how do you feel the consumer has changed and what effect does that have on building a brand?
0: I personally feel like the consumer is now more aware. Our shoppers are now smarter. Okay. Yes our shoppers are doing the due diligence and our shoppers are willing to support businesses and brands that stand for something higher than themselves. And so if you're talking to that person, your marketing strategy has to speak to them. You, you can no longer use clean beauty, natural, organic, vegan to win in this market. It's, are you credible? Are you authentic? Do you really mean it? Like, what is what are you... What's more outside of those logos? What's more outside of those credentials? And are you showing that to your audience? And some brands have done it really well. Think about Kendra Scott. Kendra Scott is always out there talking about her philanthropic work. She's always out there representing her brand. CEOs are now coming out into the marketing space and I'm talking about CEOs for emerging businesses are out, right. out, out there in their marketing and they're showing their consumers they're building community. At the end of the day, people want to support a community and people want to feel like they're part of a community and you have to start thinking about that. Are you creating community around your brand?
1: Right, because it has to be a, it has to be more than a transactional. Exactly. relationship or it, it, it doesn't work. And, uh, um, you know, I the, the other thing that could be interesting with with part of this is it, it's also much like any other cataclysmic action or war or anything else. It forces a lot of the traditional things to move in different directions. So I think mm-hmm. I think on the retail side, whether it's, you know, drug or grocery or mass or whatever, I think they've done some amazing things in the last two years that probably would have taken them 10 years to get there yeah. if things were just going along as normal. Right. Mm-hmm. So would, would we have the acceleration of uh, pick and, and, and click and pick or delivery? Or I don't think so. I mean, we might have mm-hmm. seen it five years down the road, but we certainly would not have seen that acceleration, which mm-hmm. has also, you know, I, I think changed things and changed the way that that, um, you know, the folks are looking at it. I, but Do you think that there's more because of those things and that local focus you mentioned earlier, that there's really more opportunity for emerging brands today than there was five years ago?
0: Yes, a thousand percent because, and I'm just going to reference this because I was working with a team at this time. Last year, there was this whole movement around Black Lives Matter. And I remember being in a boardroom and the senior brand directors were starting to identify which brand should stand for this mission, which should stand for this purpose. This is work and this is conversation that never had happened before, right? Right. So when I'm thinking about it from a marketing standpoint, it's also if senior leaders in this big organizations are now starting to realign their brands with a societal focus and it's going to take them like 10 years before they do that. Think about the opportunity you have as an emerging brand to to stand up for that right now. Like your runway is huge,
1: right? Yeah. 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 You can do that. And
0: even, and even in
1: some cases with, um, on the production side, Mm -hmm. I have some experiences with where a a larger grocery operator who had some redundant dairy production stuff took a local brand and said, well, wait a minute, we, we got a plant that Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, not certainly not running optimal. Uh, we've got some space, some time. Can we we do something? And it's like, mm-hmm. whoa, that's not a conversation I think I would have heard of. You know, five mm-hmm. years ago, five yes. years ago either. Um, from the founder standpoint, so, so Maria, a question because you've again come from um, you know larger CPG background. Where does that drive and that individuality of the founder? Um, where do you have to start adding to the team? To bring in people who have, let's say, more larger industry knowledge or whatever, as opposed to that scrappy entrepreneurship.
0: Um, I would say when you have your when you have your infrastructure in your business dialed in, right? Because you want to build a team when you're in a position where you feel like I, I'm ready to build a self led company. I'm ready to. I'm ready to. Sh- to teach others how I do things so that we can scale because it gets to a point where you as a founder can be the bottleneck of your business. And when you get to a point where you're the bottleneck of your business, you're going to plateau. Like your revenue is not going to grow. Your marketing is just going to feel so exhausting. And if you're at that point in time, it's time for you to delegate, delete, and automate some processes by hiring a team or investing in. Infrastructure, but you, 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 you're the only one who will know based on your current like infrastructure in your business. Like, do you have capacity? Do you have capability? Like, tune into that. Listen into your your gut and see if you're ready for that.
1: Yeah, it's very important. I, I'm very fortunate. We had we had a, a show um, a while back where um, originally I had contacted, didn't talk to the founder, who was great Grace Ventura of what was then called Beyond Broth and is now mm-hmm. called Grace's Goodness. And she had just hired an old friend of mine, Sarah Byrd, to be her CEO. Mm-hmm. And Sarah was there that day in the office and she said, well, would you like Sarah to be on the show too? And I said, are you kidding? Of course I would. And mm-hmm. actually, got her, them to talk about that transition and where mm-hmm. it was and where, you know, Grace said, you know, um, I, I don't know if they were plateaued yet, but she saw, she saw these signs of where, you know, I, I think it's time, you know, to come in. And then the ensuing thing, of course, the, is again, we went from, Beyond broth was the name of our company. It was very popular, but now it's called grace's goodness because we don't have to be in the broth business. Now
0: mm-hmm. we can
1: be in, we can use grace's right persona and whatever, but we can move beyond just having to, to stick to broth. So it's a very, very important aspect. And I think it's one of the, one of the areas where um, companies don't grow where they should, they plateau, as you said, it, it's very, um, you know, an, an awesome kind of, uh, awesome kind of place to be at, but then you got to recognize when you need to, outside and start getting some some people in um from the standpoint of you know we talk about you know working with um different companies in consulting fashion and and whatever else are you um are you looking for particular types of companies now to to work with or do you think there's certain certain types of companies or products or channels or whatever that you really see there's going to be some dynamic growth
0: i'm definitely looking for indie brands right because They have so much power, so much potential, but they don't know that exists inside of them. Because what happens a lot, if you're an indie brand, it gets to a point where you think you need to be venture backed. And sometimes you don't. It's like really looking, probably you just need to look at your infrastructure, look at your data and find opportunities for growth. And a lot of indie brands, most of them don't do that.
1: Right. That's the other thing too, that I think has been very beneficial for entrepreneurs, emerging brands has been in the, you know, in the mid two thousands and maybe around the recession or whatever, food was not a really food beverage and health and beauty, were not sexy places to put money. Mm-hmm. And, and then suddenly that went away. Suddenly then, then all of a sudden more emphasis on health, uh, more emphasis on, um, you know, better for you products and stuff, uh, also turned a lot of venture capital into, you know, back into that, that sector, which was, mm-hmm. which was good. The, the interesting thing I think now is that we have a lot of folks who um, either as entrepreneurs or investors have been in tech.
0: Yes. And,
1: right. And then they, I call them the tech refugees and, and, <laughs> and, and, and you meet some, meet some, you know, people with funds and you go, wow, this is like, okay. Um, so guys, um, the industry is a little different. We're going to have to work with this. Um, but I, I, spoke with a person yesterday who was, um, you know, who was in, in, in tech and got to a point where, you know, personal decision, I, I need to get out of this. I need to, this is not working for me. And oh, by the way, I really like coffee and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. So mm-hmm. I think there's, there's quite a little bit of that out there, but they also have an, at least an understanding of business, basic mm-hmm. business, right. So they can you know, help do that, but it it doesn't, it doesn't always translate The tech, doesn't always translate to, uh. Uh, certainly not the the scalability in a very short period of time. It takes longer to build, I think, a food and beverage brand going mm-hmm. forward. Um, so any anything exciting that you're you're working on coming up that you you want to talk about? Are you doing some um, any events or or have you got anything going on with the with the profit lab and in the brand academy?
0: Um no events right now, but I'll be doing a signature live event. Next year, January, the week of the 17th, where we'll be five days, we'll be teaching the entire equation of building, growing and scaling your product-based business. So if anybody's interested in learning the dynamics, how to sell, how to position price in market, that would be a really great place to do so. And you can find all that information on my website.
1: Super. And we'll mm-hmm. include that in the mailing that will go out with this. Mm-hmm. So we can have that information. One of the things we, we try to do, uh, Maureen, is, is to um, ask guests to, if they can, encapsulate um, words of wisdom, words of advice. We call it words to grow by. But mm-hmm. basically, we're looking for some guiding light. Some it can be a phrase. It could be a single word. It could be a quote. But something that you, you know kind of take with you that you would like to pass along to fellow entrepreneurs out there.
0: One of my guiding lights as an entrepreneur, and I share this with so many people, is allow for space to create magic. And I say this because as entrepreneurs, we really want the how, we really want the very next strategy, really want the very next thing to get us to a quantum leap or the exponential growth. But most of the success, most of the growth and expansion we always want comes from space allowing the how, because that's where the magic happens.
1: Got it. That is great advice. Wow. Yeah. It's so true how that works. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to be with us today and, and talk about, wow, so many important things. Um, and, uh, and also talk a little bit, if you would, just um, about the foundation and how that got started and, and the why behind that.
0: So the foundation is my passion project. And I say it's my passion project because I really created it to support boys in Kenya to get education. They need to lift their families out of poverty and build generational wealth because in Kenya for over 20 plus years, there's been a huge push on empowering the women, empowering the girl child, but the boys have actually been forgotten. And in a very patriarchal society, the boy child is a backbone of the society. But if they don't get education, if they don't get access to capital and resources to progress, they're not going to be able to grow their families and nobody's doing that. So I really started by educating the boy child through the high school so they can get into college because without education, primarily in my society, you would actually be nothing and you wouldn't go anywhere.
1: Right. That's great. Yes. Because i was I I did want to ask you about, it. so why boys? It's like, mm-hmm. right. Obviously it makes, it it makes sense. It has mm-hmm. to be, if you can help out in, in that area. um, And particularly again, in patriarchal society, it makes, makes a big difference. So I mm-hmm. think that's a, that's a great passion project, by mm-hmm. the way, I think so. But all right. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, we will also hopefully have you on the program down the road. We'll be talking about some other stuff with building brands, if you can do that.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This was fantastic.
1: You bet. Well, thanks to, actually all of you out there for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, or health and wellness, you should be part of the Next Level Brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear.
1: Learn more at nextwith2xslevelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe
0: on iTunes so you never miss an episode.